This week on S4C, we are heading to the capital, Cardiff Met, hosting the reigning champions, TNS. Should be a cracker, little Sunday afternoon live football action, there's nothing better. What else are you going to get up to? So join us at 12.30 live on S4C to see Christian Edwards' boys who have started the season pretty poorly. They expected far better, more points, higher up the table. Not to be so far, they face the ultimate test against Scott Rusko's The New Saints. So join us, 12.30, 12.45 kickoff should be a beauty. He likes to tell you if anyone will listen About his seven caps, his chocolate knees, his distinct lack of pace Now it's a long shot Hello, welcome to the Longman's Football World podcast. This week's guest is the one and only Mr. Dolan Ebenezer, the main man on your TV screens, certainly S4C, TV presenter for a number of years now, worked within radio, and I thought this was the time to make the trip, make the journey to go and visit my TV partner. Nice little TV partnership we've built up over the last few years. Some would call it a bromance, and who am I to argue? So it was nice to pay a little visit to Ebenezer Towers, as it's called, the big mansion down in uh, in the capital city of Cardiff. And nice little coffee. I bought some Portuguese tarts. Janet, his wife, had made a couple of little cookies for us. So nice to just shoot the breeze, as they say, and just chat. Chat about Ebsy's career, TV, radio, everything obviously the highlights may be including working together over in france following wales during the euros so we get into all of that so hopefully it's a conversation you guys will enjoy as you listen to the main man when it comes to presenting mr dolan ebenezer Ebzi. hello how's your english mate very good, thank you. Oh, lovely. Not bad, not bad. Yeah? I haven't got a cockney twang like Malcolm <laughs> Allen when he switches from Welsh to English, but I can get by. Welcome to the podcast, my friend. Um, you know, here we are in Beverly Hills of Cardiff. <laughs> Gated community, you know. I needed, Absolutely. I needed top secret codes to get in. Totally. What a we, place. We've been following you on CCTV for the last half mile. <laughs> Absolutely. No, yeah, we're up in the King Coit, for those who know Cardiff. Next door to Cardiff Met. I won't go into more detail in case I get some visitors. Handy when Cardiff Met are playing home on Scorio. But yeah, no, good, nice. Sun shining, all good. It's quite nice to be able to speak, the two of us. You know, no cameras. You don't have to sort your makeup out. <laughs> I'm here in my hat, no gel. We're just comfortable, aren't we? Hey? I, forgot, I forgot the makeup. Don't know what to do. I haven't done my hair. You can get it on for the picture after. Fair enough. Life's good, though? Yes, yeah, very good. Um... Strange, just everything's great. I like every year goes past, you kind of people ask you, everything alright, everything alright, life good. It's like, yeah, no crisis, nothing, uh, nothing going wrong, just plowing on, basically, all and, good. And still working on football, you know, that was your love growing up. Football was everything. When did you figure out you weren't going to be a footballer? <laughs> I still think I might get a call up, <laughs> not these days. But a few years ago, I always thought, I never know. When Tosh was in charge with Wales, I think, come on, 
I'm going to get a chance here. Yeah. Steve Evans walked into the squad. No, he did well, Steve Evans. Fair play. Uh, it hit home quite quickly. I, was, uh, I wasn't I was bad footballer, but I was never fit. Always overweight, which wasn't great. Uh, more of a Jan Mulby oh. type. Give me time on the ball. Yeah. No ping, problem. Ping a ball. I need a lot of time, though. A lot of time. This just doesn't happen. So, yeah, I played in school. Locals. Aberystwyth Reserves was probably the highlight. How many games? Oh, only two. <laughs> for Aberystwyth Reserves. Started them both? I can't remember. No, sub in one. I played one. Started one, sub in another. Mm. I'm so overweight, the shorts were a bit tight as so well. You, so you were given the start, and then by the second game, you were on the bench, <laughs> yeah. and then by the third, you were out of the squad. By the third, it? I was off to uh, my village, my local village team, where all my family are from. Bontreed Vendigate, Bont yeah. FC. Shout out to them. Oh, massive. Well known in the Aberystwyth area. There's a, it's like every area. So you've got Aberystwyth Football Club, then the hub around it. There's so many clubs. We go on about rugby and all this, but the clubs around Wales just blows your mind. There's a district league in Aberystwyth, and Bont FC, at 60 years old, it's been going for years, still going. So I played with them for a few seasons. Great, great days, playing yeah. with your family, arguing with your uncles, shouting at people, your auntie on the touchline, bollocking you for everything. Good fun. A few pints after? A lot of pints after. A few of them had a pint before, unfortunately. Yeah. So uh, it was like that. Come on midfield, there's a Welsh... Welsh uh, TV programme about a football team, come on midfield, it's about a village team. It's just, sums it up perfectly. Chaos. Are you a fan of come on midfield though? Uh, yeah, it's all right. There's a rumour that only the North Wales <laughs> enjoyed it. No, big fan of come on midfield, but it is like, oh, it's the North Wales Bible. I don't know, they do love it, they mm. do seem to love it more, but I'm oh, a big fan, gotta love it, it's class. Mr Pickton, the manager, Yeah. up to all sorts. No, it's good. A lot of people now. That's the thing in Wales. There's Welsh culture, Welsh language part of Wales. It's one country, obviously, but the stuff that goes on S4C, Largy Cymru, Welsh language, people have no idea. We've got a guy that comes around doing the windows here. He's been coming for two years. He saw me the other day. So you on telly. What do you do on football? Now, if that was, you know, if you're doing that in English, yeah. you'd be spotted. The nice thing in Wales is you can do something and nobody knows who the hell you are. And even when they do, they, just, they don't understand you anyway. <laughs> you say the nice thing, but we all like a bit of attention. Don't we? we all like to be, to be noticed. You go to the Eastern for that every summer. That, that's your dose of uh, attention. Just to build up the ego, yeah? Absolutely. Oh, yeah. We've all got egos. Yeah, nice. Um, when did it start for you then, Dal? So you, you obviously loved football. Was it a case of working on football in sports or, or did you get into journalism first? Uh, I, this is what's changed now. Everybody's going through the journalism uh, side of things, I probably wouldn't have got a job in the BBC. Started for me in the BBC 20 years ago, I just realised recently, 1998, mm. in case anybody doesn't know what 20 years ago <laughs> was, uh, there was an advert in a paper asking for people interested in reading bulletins, sports bulletins, right. so all you had to do was send a tape in of your voice, did, yeah. and got the job. I didn't even get the job originally, two of us, well there's few of us were interviewed, the day we were interviewed, the boss, Arthur Emir, the former rugby player, I learned later, phoned down the guy doing the interviews and said, oh, I'll tell you what, just appoint another one as well. We've got one, get somebody else in for a few months, we're a bit busy. Yeah. And that's how I got the job, just voice, sent in a tape of my voice, fluked an interview and got job with the BBC. These days, I don't think I've got any other place without lots of work experience. There's the standards have gone up, which is great in one sense, mm. but in another sense, sometimes you just want to hear someone's voice on a tape and if you like their voice, you only listen to them on radio. So I get it. I get why the standards are changing and they, they're demanding more online. If you're a football reporter, you know, the, the work you've got to get through is massive. But they're missing some of the characters, maybe. They're all... Oh, there are, there's still characters out there. I'm not calling myself a character either. But, as I say, sometimes it's nice just to send in a tape. Yeah, we like your voice. Give him a chance. Can you remember what you had to put on the tape? I can't. No, I think I just copied it. It was a sports bulletin. And I wasn't even master. I've worked on radio for so long, but I didn't even listen to much radio at the time. So I remember listening to the, to the news and sports. Probably heard, heard Ian Gwynews or Gareth Blaney's voice yeah. going through the sports bulletins. I basically copied that, I think, and just sent it in. And again, got an interview, got lucky. It's the only interview I've been successful in my life. And I wasn't really successful with that because somebody else actually got the job. But yeah, 1998, 20 years ago. And... At the time, Wales on Saturday was going strong. Mm. So you're in the sports department, which was an amazing place to work at the time. And they'd start sending you out to local grounds, 
in the Welsh Premier, so yeah. where you could reach, because Wales on Saturday was live at five on a Saturday. So they'd want the footage back to show that day. So I'd get sent to Jenner Park to watch Barrytown. You'd leave with 20 minutes to go, bomb back to the Cardiff. Somebody would be cut in the first half to put the highlights. Then you'd, you'd start commentating, put your voice on it. So that's where it all started. So what, what was Wales on Saturday? What were they used to show? Yeah, well, it was a results service, BBC results service, about five o'clock. Mm-hmm. Uh, loads of different people have presented it. Alan Wilkins over the years, Jason Mohammed did it for a bit. Um, and it was just a five o'clock results service, everything. You'd have football, rugby, all sorts, league tables, you'd have reporters, like final score yeah. is now basically, but just a condensed version of that. And they wouldn't, they wouldn't follow the live games. They'd start at final whistle. So you'd get a, a massive roundup of everything. All the leagues in Wales, football, rugby, it was a great service, which came to an end, unfortunately. But yeah, they used to show highlights from Welsh Premier. 20 minutes after the game finished. Yeah, so so back then, there used to be cameras, probably at a select, a select few games as opposed to all of them. They were basically, where could you get the tapes back to? Is that right? It yeah? was based, so you'd have someone in North Wales, so Bangor City probably got showed, you were probably the star of the show some weekends. A little bit later. I know I've got a fair bit of grey hair though, but you, you <laughs> made the service. The service, no. Um, so they'd be, yeah, they'd get the tapes back to Bangor, so Carnarvon would, Show that North Wales coast probably. Yeah, they were probably in the lower leagues. <laughs> oh, Corbys won't be happy. Uh, and then Cardiff, Cumbran, at that time there were loads of clubs. Yeah. Ebu Vale even had a team. I think if you're commander on Aberystwyth, forget it. They're not going to get a look in because they're not going to get Super. the tapes back. Roads, no chance. <laughs> Interesting, isn't it? Yeah, it's good. Wales on, yeah, Wales on Saturday. I'd totally forgotten about it. It was, it was a popular show. One of those that came to an end. They had reporters in the Cardiff Swansea Wrexham games and did stuff. Could they, could they show the goals from them? No, games? no, but they'd have managers on afterwards. Ollie Hydes did it yeah. for a while, upset yeah. a few people, a few did interviews, he? yeah, Mickey Thomas, and those would come on from the race course. He upset Mickey Thomas? I think I think they got Mickey Thomas into trouble once, because he didn't realise he was on air, and they asked him, what's the weather like, uh, Mickey? And he replied with, uh, it was effing freezing. <laughs> <laughs> Whoops. But you, you must have, well, you would have seen a huge change in everything, really. You talk about that programme, probably... They got drowned out by the likes of Sky getting so popular, Gillette Soccer Saturday. And then here in Wales, we've probably just had to adapt around what the big companies are doing. Yeah, totally. It's, it's mad. When I started in the BBC, it feels like yesterday. But even then, there were people there that had seen a lot of change. Guys, you know, Ian Gwynneau is now with the Welsh FA. He's moved on. But when I joined in 98, he was, he was pulling his hair out because everything was changing and it wasn't like it used to be and they used to have everything. I yeah. think it's taken them a generation nearly to realise that everything's changed with the BBC. It took them a while to realise even when Sky were coming in they were still had a, an air of but we're the BBC, it'll be fine, we're going to get these contracts and then suddenly things would go in drip by drip, they were losing more and more rights I guess to live sports when I was there it helped in a way because they were losing the rugby rights so they had to concentrate more on football they brought the Premier Cup in so again more uh, more Welsh Premier action I've drifted into it somehow I always wanted to do football and this Welsh Premier League kind of I don't know got under my skin somehow yeah. they just sent me out to it I couldn't get to the Cardiff City games because all the big boys were there and probably here in Wales we've almost been a victim that kind of programme and Premier Cups probably been a victim of the club's success in terms of Cardiff and Swansea. Like you can't you can't do competitions, you can't do coverage of those clubs now because they've got to a different level, haven't they? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It was great. It was good fun. Premier Cup was good fun. It was uh, just, well, for those that don't remember, it was basically the clubs in the Welsh Premier and suddenly they invited Cardiff, Swansea, Wrexham came in. Top, top eight? Something like the top eight in the in the Welsh Premier League. Well, what would it have been at the time? Conica... And then... People still call it the Conica Minolta. I worked on Scoria for years. There was another programme, Goal, yeah. which we did. People still go, hey, it's the guy off Goal. Really? Lee Trundle always remembers Goal. Really? Because Lee Trundle started when he came to the we are doing Goal. Oh, we loved Lee Trundle, absolutely loved him. Yeah. This guy turned up doing all these tricks, so we just filmed him every weekend. Went to interview him in his house when he was in Swansea. He had a swimming pool in the house. DJ Dex by the pool. Goal! I remember you off goal! Brilliant. <laughs> Top man. Do you know I never got to Trunz's house uh, with the swimming pool. That, that, that was the house he was in when, when I signed for Swansea. And obviously we had a good few nights out and, and this and that. But his party and his real partying days were just... He was just settling down. He got with um, Liz from Atomic Kitten. 
uh, around about the time that I signed. So you just had to just slow things Fabulous. down a little bit. No, no pool parties for, for the big man, unfortunately. My wife, shout out to Jan, still one of the highlights of my time at the BBC was sharing a bottle of champagne with Liz and Lee Trundle in one of the sports personalities of the year awards. The sad thing was we went to interview him and he had his hair, the highlights and the, and the mullet. And I loved it. I loved him. Not a Swansea fan. Never, never have been. Bit of an affection, but um, big Arsenal fan. But then Lee Trundle turned up, so I wanted the hair. I copied his hair. Did you? I was about three, four stone heavier than him, Bloody and he yeah. was heavy. Thirty stone. <laughs> I remember turning up to Sports Personality of the Year, and he's like, "Hey, goal again!" Oh. I had the same hair, so they came to sit by us. She bought us champagne. My wife was like, "Thought this was it. We'd arrived." Yeah. Didn't quite pan out like that. Hoping that uh, Trans and Liz were swingers. <laughs> Keys Maybe in the ball. Oh, that's another story. Whoa. <laughs> what a night by the pool. That's for another, that's for the Welsh podcast. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you can say things in Welsh. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, so the Premier Cup, there would have been maybe 18 clubs in the Welsh Premier Yeah, League, probably. So probably. top eight Premier Cup with Swansea, Cardiff, Wrexham. Uh, I'm not sure Newport were there because they were really down they, with the lower Newport were there Merthyr for yeah. a spell it's a great idea great good, idea yeah it's a great idea and that's the thing um, the thing because of the historical thing in Wales where the top clubs don't play in Wales so you know, that, imagine a league where if it had been different it would be some league yeah but there we are it's never going to happen now but the Premier Cup kind of gave us a glimpse of how it could have been won the Premier Cup though Ah, uh-huh, fabulous. Won the Premier Great Cup. days. Yeah. Funnily enough, Premier Cup, the season, my last season at Bangor, um, we played against Wrexham at Farrow Road, semi-final. So good Wrexham side, Ben Foster in goal, you know, Darren Ferguson, all, all these yeah, players. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So semi-final, big game for Bangor, big crowd, and we were one all, and I had a header real late on. I don't, th- maybe it went to extra time, and the header was an extra time, or it was late in the game. And, Beautiful header. He's going top corner. And Ben Foster, the wanker. What a save. I remember it to this day. And he's, he's tipped the ball over the bar. They've gone on to score. They go through to the final. Last game ever at the Vetch. Um, so Swansea against Wrexham. Swansea was celebrating promotion. So their players are still steaming. <laughs> in the weekend, but still beat Wrexham to win the Premier Cup. And then I think to myself, I got the trial with Swansea. But if that header would have gone in, could have played yeah. Swansea in the final. Had a shocker. Absolutely. And never signed mad, for Swansea. Mad, 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 yeah. And life takes a different I enjoyed the there. Premier Cup, was good. It was a good competition, but then... And, but that is a strange, it was only there because they lost the rugby rights. It's funny, you're forced into something sometimes, but it's, it was great. It and was it's, nice. it's still the same these days, isn't it? You know, you see rights getting lost for rugby and yeah. they adapt and they, they find something else. Totally. We're fortunate, it's amazing. I still pinch myself with S4C and Scoria that we do. One weekend we're doing Welsh Premier League, next weekend we're doing... Gareth Bale and Alan Ramsey and Wales and the boys it's just amazing mix Yeah. so it's been, it's been mad that's the one thing with 20 years doing this nonsense still not sure how that you go from Ebu Vale to Gareth Bale <laughs> if it rhymes yeah. it's, it's mad it's brilliant what and was what was goal Mendel? it's like uh, goal goal was I guess soccer AM kind of thing just a Sunday show we did around Welsh football. You presented with someone else? I came in late. Ian Gwynhews started it. Oh, really? Yeah, he was the presenter. They okay. had a little uh, sofa and kitchen area. If you remember, fantasy football. Uh, Frank Skinner, David Baddiel did yeah. that fantasy football thing. It was a bit of that with Soccer AM thrown in. It was, it was a great show. They uh, did cover everything from Premier League to Welsh Premier League. Dylan Llewellyn. Yeah. Uh, a lot of people will know, presented it with Ian Gwynews for a while. Then I came in, Di Davis was in a lot. It was just a Sunday afternoon talking nonsense about football. The highlight of that period, by the end, John Hudson had broken in. He, he was big on the scene. Yeah. He'd, he'd left Arsenal. I think he was with Wimbledon or maybe West Ham. And we'd got to know John somehow. And somehow he agreed, yeah, he'd come on the show every Sunday, but I, I can't come up to Cardiff, so if you come, you come to me. And we're like, oh, okay, how are we going to do this? So we had a satellite truck. Yeah. So for one season, we'd be in John's house on a Sunday doing a live satellite link up. After he'd been playing Premier League the day before, for I think it was Wimbledon time. And he'd be there in his dressing gown Sundays because he was like, yeah, it's fine, yeah, no, just talk about talk us talk to us about your weekend, John. Really? John yeah, Vinnie Jones was there one weekend. Uh, John and Vinnie 
with his little Jack Russell Terrier. They came on the show. Came on the show, just popped up on the show, just bizarre. Just these John John was so chilled. How did they not know about this? Yeah, I know, it's it's one of those shows that have disappeared. Back of axed as well. There you go. They all do eventually. <laughs> they all do though. eventually. That's the thing. That's the one thing you gotta remember. So you gotta, <laughs> if you start your own podcast, you're your own boss. Brilliant. Yeah. Good idea. That's the that's the future. I missed that one. Big <laughs> Big Bad John. Um was he doing Welsh interviews there? Obviously, he was he was coming on your show, but then he stopped for a little while. Yeah, yeah, I, this is a big thing. I don't know. I've got my theory. Well, no, I know what happened. I just don't, I'm not sure who did it. Somebody, I think, he was doing Welsh language. It's a big deal for these guys who aren't first... It's not their first language. They, they're comfortable having a chat with you in Welsh. I think somebody along the line did the worst thing that they could have done and corrected his language mm. or sort of stopped an interview because he said something in English and can we start again and can you... Can you do this? And I think it threw his confidence. So for ages, he didn't want to do it. But then he came back doing stuff with us on Scorio, and it's just brilliant. It's great to have him, not not all the time. He's a busy man, but when he's there, he's just fantastic. What a guy. What a guy. He's just amazing. He's a force of nature. He just lives in his own bubble. As well, he does, it? yeah. I was going to say he's a force of nature. He's, not, he's like the sun in the universe. The universe just goes around John Hartson, and he's radiating this warmth and love. And it's brilliant. I've been to Glasgow with John. And that's yes, what an eye opener. He is loved there. And even these days, even the Rangers fans, because of his illness and stuff, they all, there's so much respect out there for him. He's just a likeable guy. And he scored some great goals as well. Yeah. The mad thing is, I, I, did, I recorded his obituary when I was at the BBC. And I've told him this. Hmm. We got, when the story came through that he was seriously ill, as they do in the BBC, they, rather, there's no much sentiments going around. Like, they sent one guy to Swansea to stand outside his family's home. Yeah. It's like, there's no way on earth I'd, I'd have rather quit my job, to be honest, than do that. I'm not, I've never been a hard-hitting journalist. I'm never after the line that they want a story out of people. But um, some, some poor, poor bugger was sent to try and doorstep, they call it, when you just turn up on someone's doorstep to get a coat off the family. And I was told, we need to get an obituary ready. So I prepared John Hatson's obituary, looking back on his illustrious career and all this. And I told him this, uh, a few months after he got better and stuff, oh, I wouldn't mind hearing that though. <laughs> I'd love to know what he said about me. <laughs> it's like it was all good stuff, John. Had you recorded it or just written it? No, it's it recorded. Yeah, it's there. It's probably still there somewhere in the BBC archive, unless they've lost it, like all the great Dad's Army and Morkham Wise episodes they've lost. But yeah, that's bizarre. The things you things you end up doing, you never thought you'd do. Do you forget sometimes? Like obviously, I would have followed John's career somewhat. Um, he, he would have just been another Premier League footballer, but a Welsh Premier League footballer at, at the time when I, when I was growing up. You as an Arsenal fan, you see John going there, signing for them. You know, because I, I, not that I forget what, what he was as a player, because I'm fully aware of what John was like. It's almost, it takes for you to work with him and see fans flocking towards him for you to, for it just to click in your mind again and think, this guy's a proper star. Oh, it's mad, absolutely. Um, yeah, it's funny how quickly you forget with these players because it wasn't that long ago and but fans move on as well yeah oh god yeah brutally yeah but he moved I remember the excitement when he signed for Arsenal I couldn't believe it I was so excited he was with Luton and we're the same age so uh, it makes you uh, evaluate your life <laughs> sometimes you go hang on what am I doing with my life he's, got, he's off to Arsenal I think two and a half million George Graham brought him in I got so excited and he did so well for Arsenal the Arsenal fans loved him yeah. general consensus was they absolutely loved him didn't want him to leave Arsene Wenger didn't want him to leave and because he, was, he wasn't first choice he wanted to leave he wasn't first choice because they had Bergkamp and Wright <laughs> just there at the wrong time yeah maybe. yeah yeah totally but he, yeah, he was brilliant for Arsenal and with Wales because I started Report. I went from um, a lot of people like Bryn Law have done it. I was a fan. I used to. I wasn't Wales away. Like you know, I, the badge of honours. I used to go quite often with my mates. Didn't go to every game. I don't collect caps. But I went from that to suddenly reporting and reporting and interviewing people like John Hatson. So we follow his career closely, and he was an amazing striker with Wales. He carried that team mm. for play. He got battered up front on his own. He'd take the hits. He'd take the bruises. Well. Bellamy and these guys were buzzing around him, but he was just brilliant. He was a, and a great guy as well off the pitch. So he's a what a character. What what's it like then for, for somebody like yourself? Though? You love football, you're a football fan, and then all of a sudden, by hook or by crook, you find yourself in a position where you interview players. I would imagine probably nerve wracking to start with. Yeah. What, what's what's going through your mind? Because because 
if you're nervous, you tend to maybe overthink things, whether you, the questions are too long, yeah, totally. similar to this one right now. <laughs> <laughs> you know, how are we feeling? Yeah, it's funny. It's really weird because I think I'm so used to it. And people ask me, sometimes when I was at the BBC, you get told to try and help people and mentor them and help them through. And the thing is, I never get nervous, which is mad. But even now, I'm looking back, I must have been nervous at the start and I must have done some terrible, terrible interviews. But that was 20 years ago and doing it for 20 years, you just, it's just learn from your mistakes, I think. But um, that time, I think I've always, my dad was a, is a broadcaster, so I've grown up watching him interview people and one of his skills was just listening to people and interviewing them, but also just listening to what they have to say and being interested in their answers where a lot of reporters in sport go in with a set list of questions and they need and they're not even listening to the guy they're just they're ready with the next question and because I don't get nervous I think I'm maybe I don't know what I was I must have been nervous first time I interviewed somebody like John Hatton but I, I can't remember being so nervous that I can't function excitement yeah massive excitement to meet these guys fucking John Hatton yeah but then you meet them and they're so nice yeah. Most I can't think of many people that have been unpleasant over the years you get some people that don't want to talk to you but I've all I've, there's a there's a funny people that follow football the reporters that follow football some get offended if players don't want to talk to them or if a manager doesn't want to talk to them I'm like so what if you don't want to talk to me I, I wouldn't want to talk to people I don't get offended if Someone gives you a rubbish interview or... You can hear, especially newspaper guys, they really, really get annoyed if somebody does a rubbish interview or don't want to say anything or, oh, he's not coming out, they're not sending out the captain, they're not sending out the star, why aren't they doing this? It's like, they don't have to, they don't have to talk to you guys. You're lucky they, they give you as much time as they do. So I was just grateful for any little titbits, I guess, and then you get, you get to interview these guys. It's just... It was buzz, it's, it's, it's great. You're very fortunate, I think. This answer is rambling. That's, that's, that's life of a podcasting some, guest. Some are, uh, I have been in awe of some people, weirdly, yeah. people like John Toshak. Hmm. And I don't know why. Well, I don't know why, because he's John Toshak. He's a, he's, well, a giant. Yeah, right? it's not just a name. It's, yeah. I think Tosh has got some kind of aura yeah. about him, hasn't he? Big time. I thought, because I remember Bobby Gould was manager. I think he'd finished by the time... Yeah, I wasn't working because I was on the piss in Bologna the night Bobby Gould resigned. Right. I remember Wales had lost 4-0, I think, and the words crept around the nightclub we were in in Bologna that Bobby Gould had resigned and never celebrated so much after the 4-0 <laughs> defeat. It was brilliant. So I think Tosh must have been the first one when I was working, the first Welsh manager I'd interviewed. And I remember him getting the job and there was a, a scrum to interview him. And it's Tosh, this giant who's done what he's done, with played for Liverpool, Swansea, the stuff he did with Real Madrid. So I think that's the biggest one, weirdly. This, and this, he was hard to interview as well. This is the first time he got the job, is that right? Yeah. Oh, no. The, no. Uh, when he got it full-time. Yeah, yeah, I okay. was at the BBC the first time he got the job, when he, when he okay. did the two little games. But when he came in... But you would always feel uh, your question to Tosh had to be correct. Yeah, big time. I'd always be... You sat there in a the press conference, and because oh, I was young as well, even if the BBC had the rights, whoever's got the rights get, gets the interview... If Sky these days, they'd have Tosh on their own in a little side room and then he'd come into the press conference room and you're all sat there in rows ready for your questions and somebody from the BBC will go first, ask a few questions, Sky will go second, so and you're sat there thinking, I've got I've got one chance to ask about two questions. Don't mess it up. Yeah. And everybody's asked most yeah, of the yeah, basic yeah. questions. You've got to think on your feet. So you're thinking, oh, what the hell can I ask without repeating it? And with Tosh, you just didn't want to make a fool of yourself because he wasn't part, he wouldn't put you down, but... He had, as you say, he had this order around him, so you just want to you want to get it right, basically. You just want to, don't want to impress him, but you don't want to make a tit of yourself, basically. But is there an element, you know, say you're the third one in, you've got to follow BBC or and Sky if you're working for S4C, and sometimes you actually have to repeat the question. You you correct me if I'm wrong because S4C want your voice asking the question. Yeah. But you must be thinking, oh God. He's totally, gonna, he's, he's gonna think I'm a tit. Yeah, totally. It's it's better in a way because they're not as uh, driven by the breaking news like BBC and Sky are. They need the line. If like when Ryan Giggs got the job recently, by the time they got to me, they'd asked all the questions and also. So I asked him, "Are you going to wear suit or tracksuit?" 
that was my question. <laughs> it's hardly groundbreaking, but I got a laugh. He smiled. He still remembers it. Yeah. In a way, you look, you, you, because you come in after other people, you don't have to ask the the obvious boring yeah, yeah. questions as well. But there is an element of that. Sometimes they want your voice on it, and you know I'm gonna ask, I have to ask him again this question, especially when Tosh was around and all the players were as retiring from international football. You're like, oh, here we go. Mm. So you can ask to have, ask him that again. But it's not too bad with us. We'll see. They're great. They just, they just, they're still just happy to be there. In a way, I'm just happy to be there. Me they're too, happy. To, me too. Yeah, exactly. So we're all just, just a bit more chilled. But you have some, some auras, some egos that are bigger than most. I remember before the Ireland game in Dublin last time out, and being at the press conference, Martin O'Neill. He's got an aura about him. Roy Keane. Massive. You know, just watching that guy, he has got an aura about him. And and funnily enough, I remember the press conference to Martin O'Neill and Seamus Coleman before he broke his leg. And this Sky reporter just asked the most stupid question for trying to be different, trying to be funny. And I remember thinking, what a knob. <laughs> I guess they're in all, all workplaces, aren't they? They're everywhere. You do sit there sometimes just thinking what on earth oh, you, you know better if you've been on the other side I must I can't imagine that's the thing reporters are like oh they don't have much to say and oh these players they don't want to do the press conferences they don't want to talk to you and you, you sit there looking around at your fellow reporters and some of the questions they you come out with yourself. no totally and it's I guess it's an era now it's a time where everyone's trying to be different everyone's yeah. trying to be funny as if they're the friends with the manager and the players and it goes overboard because I know the players are thinking you're not my mate. No. I'll give you a, I'll give you a good answer because Absolutely. you know the cameras are on me. But then the reporters at times then think that they're friends. Oh, I asked this funny question. Oh yeah, I totally. Got an answer, but sometimes you just got to know your place, don't you? It's little stuff like I see Ashley Williams's face sometimes, and you can tell. I'm like, oh man, not that he doesn't want to be there, but I'm sure he's he, maybe he doesn't want to be there. But then these questions come up, and they keep and they they call him Ash, which I find. Maybe it doesn't annoy him. I don't know. You know him much better than I do. But you're not going to call him Mr. Williams. But, he, you know, come on. You're not his mate. Hey, Ash, tell me. And all this. You're like, oh, too, too friendly. Yeah. Sometimes. With Tosh, I wouldn't call him Mr. Toshak, but there's no way he's going to call him Big J or Tosh, for instance. I think I used to call him Tosh, you know. Brilliant. Yeah, because he wasn't the gaffer. Yeah. International team. Tosh. So you have your gaffer at the club. Although Chris Coleman, I would, I would call the gaffer. Strange, isn't it? Absolutely. But Tosh was never... Well, some managers, would you call them the gaffer? And they go, oh, no, no, can't do that. I've got a name. No, no, no. None of them would ever... Generally, they like They like being... Well, gaffer, I've never, I've never called anybody, anybody boss, really. But, um, yeah, I guess there is... You hear of a couple who just say, call me this or that. Yeah. It just comes in. You're call the gaffer. me Brendan. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the biggest one with Tosh... I remember the best... Just to finish with Tosh was when he resigned when he said he was going mm. it was a strange press conference it was all it was quite I, I felt quite emo- I felt sorry for him because I felt he'd not, he hadn't been hung out to dry but I thought it was a tough time yeah. for the Welsh team and so many senior pros had gone and he'd been left with the kids you know, and people say today oh he bought them through he bought them through I don't think he didn't have much choice he didn't have players mm. so he did bring them through but there were so many people retiring and I remember nobody'd asked him if he, how did he feel they asked him what's happening, how did this come about, was it, your, was it your idea, was it the Welsh FA's idea, and I just asked him, do you, do you feel some of the players have let you down? And he kind of just sat back, folded his arms and went, yeah, yeah, I do, and it was, a, it was a very honest answer, and he said, you know, maybe I said things, or they said things, but there's a lot of overreaction have been, and it was nice to, you've got a, the human side kind of thing, the, react, the feeling that because I think he was let down in a way. He deserved more respect. And a lot of people, even fans and reporters, oh, Tosh is a dinosaur. Tosh, is, his time is gone. And you're like, oh, hang on. He's done, he's done. Give him a chance. He deserves some respect. He deserves more respect than he got anyway. Yeah, even now, I guess, people tend to forget. I mean, I know you're saying he was forced into the young players. It was a bit of both. So players left, didn't they? But some... I guess, or maybe all it would have taken was a phone call from Tosh uh, to get yeah. to get them back in yes, and absolutely. to say, "Listen, you're going to be part of my plans." I think he was happy to clear the decks, you know, and then and then the senior players that that were left over, the likes of Carl Fletcher and the like, other young players weren't weren't ready to take that mantle from them. So he was reliant on them boys to help bring the young lads through. I remember John Hatton saying because he hung around for a while, and by the end, okay. John was like, 
turning up. He didn't know anybody. All his mates had gone. Yeah. I guess that's a factor as well yeah. in the dressing room. Well, it's one thing you want to play for your country. But when you're turning up on a trip and the, all these guys were coming through together, yeah. it just, I don't know, wasn't fun anymore. Yeah, it's true, especially if you're playing at the highest level. I remember one of the only times I was in the squad with um, Brian Giggs. And just quiet. I, I know he's a, he's a quiet person unless he's within that circle that, that, of people that he trusts. But he's, he's pretty quiet. And then you're looking around, you know, looking in the mirror at myself, looking at these other guys, and you're thinking, Giggs must be wondering, what's going on here? <laughs> you know, he's, he's involved in that Man United squad, mid-2000s. There's a, there's a part of us that think you're playing for your country, representing your country, but there's that little bit of personal pride for him as well in terms of standards. He must have been at times thinking, bloody hell, yeah. what and are you doing here? That's one reason I, I don't... I, I understand the criticism of him for missing the games, but I, I don't think it's fair. And I think all the fans that slaughter him need to lay off a bit because you look at the pictures back in those days, the training ground with Bobby Goulds yeah. fighting with John Hartson and the training equipment must have been terrible. It's just changed beyond all recognition. And he's coming from the Man United the best. scenario where everything was perfect. To this shambles mm. that was Wales. Great guys. I think the the spirit around that team must have been fantastic as well. But just, uh, I don't blame him. And I see him now, and I hope he'll win them over because he deserves a chance. But And, and the fans are going, <laughs> Wales away thing is brilliant. I, I, the dedication is amazing. And they're going, oh, I travelled out to Albania. Well, not Albania, wherever. I went to Eastern Europe. Gigs wasn't there. Well, yeah, but you also had a cheap flight. Went on the piss for four days with your mates. You had a hell of a laugh. Yeah. Do you know, he's expected to go out and, and do his stuff, his job. Yeah. I, I say to people, I remember his last game. I don't know if you remember. Czech, was that, Czech Republic. Was that the Millennium Stadium, anyway? Against the Czech Republic. I think it was a nil-nil. And he was brilliant. And I, I remember him coming off the bench. He just couldn't score. You know, he was that play. He'd get off his seat hoping he never reached the, the heights of Bale playing for yeah, Wales. Yeah, yeah. Um, but if something was going to happen, it was going to be through him. And I remember... Um, I forget, it wasn't a full house, far from it. But it was a standard ovation. Oh, massive. Because yeah. he'd announced beforehand, this was going to be my last game. Yeah, totally. So to then reach the point where he's announced as the manager and he's getting all that heat and all that pressure, I'm thinking, hang on a minute. The yeah. fans who, and there was always the question about the friendlies, but the fans that were watching that game were applauding yeah. him. Yeah, so totally. you think, what's changed between then and now? I, was present- I remember what I said on the radio. I was presenting on the radio and it was something like, don't be sad that it's finished. Just be happy that it's happened at all, John, yeah. or words to that effect. Yeah, we've, we've witnessed one of the greats. Yeah. And I still think we witnessed one of the greats. And it, it, you weren't saying, you know, he's, he's, he's quit now after not turning yeah. up. Everyone, everyone appreciated what he was, but I guess he, all, he had all, all that stuff with his private life in between and social media. Everyone, yeah. everyone you know, the haters come out and, and give their opinion and it just escalated, snowballed. Didn't yeah, it? totally. Because I remember Mark Hughes getting the job. When Giggs got the job, I was excited. I remember Mark Hughes getting the job. So actually, I said Tosh Rock was probably the first. I, no, I was reporting a lot when Hughes got the job and I was really excited when Mark Hughes got the Wales job because he was he looked sharp in the suit. Suddenly they changed the image. The Welsh FA had these blue suits and the... The Welsh dragon on the on the blazer in gold. It just suddenly they looked sharp. Everything looked different. And Hughes was in the stadium doing keepy eppies yeah. in the press conference. You're like, oh, look at this. This is it. We we're changing. Yeah. And I got excited. I felt the same buzz with gigs as well. Because when Speed came in, Gary Speed and Coleman, you were kind of thinking, oh, I'm not sure about this. Obviously, we're all proved wrong because mm. Gary Speed was with Sheffield United. You're thinking they're buying. It. They had to buy out his contract. What on earth are they doing? Yeah. What's going on here? Then Hughes came in really exciting. I remember going down uh, with the guys from the BBC with the cameras for the first press conference. And it was just, but there was a buzz about the place. I feel the same with gigs now. There's an, there's an excitement, but uh, some obviously won't be happy. And obviously we were able to um, participate and, you know, do our bit during the Euros. Arguably the most successful period in Welsh football history. Good month, though. Yeah, it's mad. It took a while to remember that it was to well realize that it had finished. I, I suppose. I, I suppose. See, we we didn't have any of the games leading up to it, did we? No, it was bizarre. Sky were doing obviously they do the qualifiers, and Wales we were doing no, some we were highlights. Just, yeah, I think yeah, we were doing yeah. highlights, and the Wales qualified, and there was a big 
Well, the first thing was I was trying to plan my summer or going as a fan to mm. France. And then a good mate of mine, uh, Sean Jones, you might be listening to this, producers on the BBC, kind of started mentioning that there might be something might be happening. We might be doing them live on SOC through the BBC, but we probably won't be going there. We'll have to do them from back here. Oh, yeah, story of my life. Shit. The game's on. Shit. <laughs> I know, it's, it's horrible. And you can't complain, but it is. Uh, I will complain. It's horrible. I would have quit. It's horrible not being there. <laughs> so the plans kept changing and changing and changing. And then about a month before the tournament, they, he said, um, we're going. It's all live. We're off to France. We're going to every game. We're in every stadium. So it's got to be the highlights of my career, definite. And it's going to be, I should have quit maybe after that <laughs> Portugal game because it's going to be hard to replicate that unless they qualify again, of course. Yeah, it'll never be the same. Will it? No, it'll the never be the same years. as that first game in Bordeaux. Uh, and I know everybody has their highlights, but just sat there as a presenter because I'd gone from radio to doing telly and to be sat next to you in that studio in, uh, in Bordeaux was just surreal. He's just thinking, here we go. This is happening. But also, because I done I did radio for so many years, and if I'd have got nervous in that situation, <laughs> I don't think I'd have been able to speak because it was such an emotional moment. And I'd done radio for so long, and doing Scorio, where, oh, I don't know, if you can make, not, this sounds patronising, but if you can make Carmarthen against Connors Key exciting while you sat with Wales in the Euros... Just the occasion. You don't need to present it. You don't need commentators at times. Just look at it. Look at the pictures. But it, it was just, of itself, yeah. oh, it was an amazing experience, and the way it panned out is just it was bonkers. But there's been other things. That's that's that is the highlight. But then other things. I remember going to Milan in 2003 when Wales played Italy, and I had to check. I'm rubbish with dates. If you ask some people. Oh, when did Wales play Romania? I remember that one. Wales mm. played Romania because I was there, unfortunately. Horrible night for more than one reason. But then somebody tells you, oh, when did Wales go to Russia for the playoff? I'm going to have to think about that. Because I know he's the qualifiers for Euro 2004, you know, roughly. But Milan was 15 years ago. Yeah. It's bonkers when Wales lost out there. And that was the first time people who weren't really following football went for the trip like they do with rugby. It was nuts. You turned up in Milan and there were thousands of Welsh fans uh, men were bringing their girlfriends and whoa, what's going on here? There were kids there, it was brilliant. That's the first glimpse where you got, my God, if this kicks off, anything can happen with Welsh football. And it, the Euros, years later, you, know, you could see, but that was the first time in Milan where I realised, this is massive. That, that was the one, um, I think my dad went, where the Italian fans were oh, pissing on them underneath them in the horrible. stadium. Yeah? yeah, it was horrible. And the people, and the combination of Going to the San Siro, being in the lower tier, Italian fans above you, they were pissing, puking, just horrible, apparently. We were in the press box, which is, it's nice to be in the press box, but you also feel a bit guilty, thinking, I don't want to be in there, I want to be giving it, giving it some to the bloody Italians above you. But there were so many people there for the first time, yeah. that I think it put them off for life, or until the, the Euros campaign anyway, when people started going again. But it, it, it was unpleasant. And it, yeah, it, it can be, it was, especially back then. Moscow, I remember being in Moscow for the playoffs, again working, but it was hairy. There was, I remember leaving Moscow after three days, thinking, thank God we're leaving this place, because I didn't feel, didn't feel safe there. Yeah. It was the same in Italy, where you turn to the police looking for help, but they're just ignoring you. In that situation, you're like, I know mates of mine were in the San Siro, complaining to the police about what was going on and they were being battered and then the police were like oh, oh you chose to come here you should have stayed at home when you get to that situation it's like oh my god you're here to watch football you're not here to get pissed on well some maybe were but that's that's what they do after yeah. the game in some late night clubs yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, but you know what talking about Bordeaux I think there was a there was a question mark over it then I, this is my personal experience because over the years there's been the rivalry between Swansea and Cardiff fans who have been watching Wales and that many people, I remember we had to do like a radio hit from one of the pubs. Would you, would you remember what the name of the pub was? Oh, no, down the front in, yeah. uh, in Bordeaux. One like, that was packed all the time. Like the Dick Turpin or so, something like that. That sounds familiar. And um, People are going to be screaming at the, I was going to say radio. I can't remember. Anyway, turning up to do Charles this. Dickens. Nice. That's so Charles Dickens. Charles Dick Dickens. Dick Turner, Charles Dickens. Boo, got it. And turning up. And I, and I knew that there was an element of there was a Cardiff crowd. Now I'm not a high-profile Swansea player, but I knew you just know, high. 
very high. <laughs> I, I had my wits about me thinking, what if? What if some, something happens and someone gets a little bit leery? And the amount of people there, and we were playing England in the next game, yeah, yeah. they were having their trouble in the Russia, with the Russia fans. And I thought, it's going to kick off. If not this week, next week it's going to get so bad and so ugly. And it was fine. Yeah. Like, everyone just seemed to... That seems to be the turning point. Everyone was in it together. Yeah, it was amazing. It was it was an amazing experience. The England game was because oh, I remember before the tournament, because we were going, we had to go on these briefings with the BBC, and they were worried about terrorist attacks. Yeah, that's right. Genuinely worried about terrorist attacks, and I know people that didn't go down to Toulouse after Lons, and we were staying in Lille. It all kicked off in Lille with English fans and the Russian fans. And people didn't go straight to Toulouse because they were worried because Wales were playing Russia. So they were worried what the Russian fans were going to be doing. Would they be yeah. waiting for the Welsh fans? And I remember thinking, oh, just, I'm, I'm like this in life, I think. I'll worry about it later. Not I'm a worrier. I do worry about things, but I'll worry about it closer to the event because there's nothing happening. It looked calm and we got to Toulouse and it was just paradise again. You know, the, only, the only blip, not a blip, was that the few nights around that England game when it was ugly. But yeah, the, the atmosphere in Bordeaux was, uh, it was just bonkers. It was one of those mad, mad summers. Which, <laughs> we need to do it again. Oh, it'd be nice. <laughs> but, the, but the Russia fans, there were stories, wasn't there, of Welsh fans meeting Russia, Russian fans and asking, you know, is there going to be trouble? And they'd say, in their Russian accents, no. Only yeah. with English. Only, uh, it was. It just was, hated uh, England yeah, fans. Yeah, it was come true. across just to cause trouble with them. Well, the Lille, uh, the game before, <laughs> the night before the England game in Lons, we arrived and we were driven in with, by this minibus and our hotel was right, I don't know if you're in the same hotel, we were yeah, right in the middle. I remember, yeah. By the train station. And you're just, you're driving through a riot, basically, thinking, oh, shit, what's going on here? And uh, we walked out of our hotel, and went for a walk to the bar to have a drink, and next thing, there's police coming. Fans coming, tear gas going off everywhere. And he sat there thinking, oh, we're in trouble here. Obviously, looking back, probably they were just running. and But it's so scary to be in the middle of it. And he's mm-hmm. seen camera crews filming it. And I was with uh, Nick Parry, the commentator, who's, who's a high court judge, a learned uh, individual. And uh, we'd been going to these briefings before and make sure you've got an exit strategy. Whatever situation you're in, we had little phones, personal little bat phones if you're in trouble. And there were codes if you're in terrorist attack. You had to dial in these codes and all this. I remember Nick leaning back with a glass in his hands going, Ebsy, what's our exit strategy for here? <laughs> thinking, we ain't got one. It's like America and Iraq, Nick. We're stuck. We're stuck. And it was, in the end, it was fine. But yeah, no, it was, it's, it was a mad summer just to be there presenting it. You know, I remember just personal highlights of being out there and knowing my kids were in school, they were watching the games live in school. Mm. It's just mad, you know, the whole country was watching you and you're thinking, oh my God, but I loved it as a presenter. It was such a buzz to be there. It could have gone either way. I could have just shat myself yeah. <laughs> and been nervous or just loved it. And it brings all the best in you sometimes. Yeah, and it I, did. You know, talking about being, how lucky we were to be in the studio, in the corner of every ground, in every <laughs> game. Uh, and you tend to turn up to games thinking that there's going to be loads of press doing yeah, yeah. that sort of thing. There's only two boxes there. <laughs> and we, we would definitely be in one, and sometimes ITV would be in the other, and that was it. Yeah, it was bizarre. It was, it was the bizarre. only studios in the game. Because we'd never experienced it before, I didn't know what to expect. I didn't know, I'd, obviously, we broadcast from a football game, so I knew in that sense what to expect. But a major tournament... God knows. And it just it just escalated. It went bigger and bigger and bigger. And then between games, we'd go back to Brittany, to Dinard, where the Wales team were based in this, in this quiet corner of, uh, of Brittany. And it was just bizarre. We'd follow the team around. You'd go to press conferences and Gareth Bale would walk in, just the most relaxed guy mm. in the world, in the middle of this crazy tournament. The best player in the world, one of them, was just walking around smiling, just having a laugh couldn't care less it, it was, was just amazing it was strange in the studios of the games wasn't it because we probably the majority of people probably didn't expect to see Wales scoring never mind scoring in every game because we had a rec- really good defensive record we didn't score many goals yeah. just being yeah. pumped 3-0 by Sweden and people were fearing the worst I, personally I wasn't uh, I was uh, optimistic about our chances but then as it went on it became a thing that the cameras are rolling watching our reaction <laughs> to every goal 
<laughs> but we had to learn the hard way. Or Dicky Bach had to learn the, high, the hard way. What, what would, what's Dicky's job? Floor manager? He's a floor manager, yeah. They're in charge of the studio, basically. They just... Got in our way, didn't they? Got in our way, totally. He always, he's, he's, they're the guys that make sure everything runs smoothly in the studio. But the most important job is bringing sweets and chocolates, making sure we got water. Uh, just keeping the presenter with an ego happy yeah. as well, which is hard. At oh, times. And Wales scored, and he was in shot, wasn't he? And all you see is him trying to jump out of the way as if he'd fallen down a big hole. I think it was, uh, and also, because Bale scored against England on half-time. Yeah. It was just before half-time, so we're all watching, and it's a free kick. So, uh, Sean O'Neill, the cameraman, used to bring out his mobile phone, because he knew if there's a free kick, you can prepare for it, obviously, in case, and if it's Bale, there's a good chance it's going to go in. So Bale scores, we all go nuts in the studio, water goes flying everywhere, Maltesers are bouncing around like shrapnel, and then the half finishes, and you're still there going, shit, it's half time, and they're in your ear going, sit down, sit down, yeah. stop pissing about, <laughs> you're not here to enjoy yourselves, you're here to work, but oh, it, was, it was fantastic. It was also just, uh, everybody said it, a culmination of so many people had been through, had done the hard yards, be it staff, players, coaches, fans, yeah, they'd all, and there's no God-given right for the for a day in the sun. But it was so nice to see that happening, and the players, because they were so young, they'd come through it together. They'd been through so much with Gary Speed as well. Because one of the other stuff I remember going to Sarajevo when Wales under twenty ones had that campaign when they nearly qualified. Yeah, when the team was full of. When Ramsey and Gunter and all these guys were coming through, lost folks. against England in the playoffs. They lost against England in the playoffs. Yeah, but they they won in Sarajevo against Bosnia and Herzegovina, mm-hmm. and I was sent on my own to cover it for Radio Cymru and Radio Wales because they were doing quite well. But they, they were covering it, but just go in case they win. And it was in Sarajevo where Torvald and Dean had got that perfect gold in the ice skating, and there had been a war zone. There'd been a, there'd been a war there, you know, fifteen twenty years before. And we travelled with the players. Um, there was one guy from a newspaper and me sat in the back row. Aaron Ramsey and Chris Gunter were sat in front of us. They were just kids and they, you got to know them. Obviously, you know, you're not going to be mates, but they, they start talking to you. They start, well, what are you doing? Are you the only one here? What are you going to do? Because they were, they were interested. They were still, you know, they were like 18, 19. They hadn't been, I don't know, the football hadn't got to them. <laughs> they still wanted, and they, they, still, they still talk to you. Fair play. But from go, from being there in Sarajevo, where they scored late goals, I think Chad Evans, whatever happened to him, well, we know what happened to him, but he's still around. He scored a late goal, and we were in the team hotel afterwards, and they were, they were, they were having a little half a lager, and they talked to you, and just to see those guys going through that, and then suddenly smashing Russia and smashing Belgium, it was just, it was so special. And it's, nice, it's great now when we interview people, interviewed Ethan Ampadu recently, David Brooks, and these guys, and you, you meet them when they're young, and again, you, know, you don't expect them to be your mates, but they do remember you, and they see a familiar face. I'm sure, uh, I guess it helps as a player, if the guy coming to interview you, you kind of know, and you know he's not a dickhead, that's all you need to know. He's not yeah. going to stitch you up, and he's all right. You don't need to know anything else, but it, it just helps seeing these guys as, the, as they grow up. And then by the Euros, with guys like Joe Allen and Ben Davis, because they speak Welsh, they're just, you know, they're great guys, and it was so nice to be in that environment. I want to go back to France. <laughs> and for you, working as a presenter, similar, different but similar to the players who, who suffered in their own words, a bit of a come down after it took, it's taken a long time to get over, you know, the highs of that tournament. But the same for us, working on on each and every one of those games. Yeah. What, what a buzz, what a high. Bit of a come down afterwards. It was mad. I think, I remember doing a, the new Saints were playing a Champions League game for a week after the Euros. Mm. And I remember coming back and I, I think it was okay, it went fine, but I don't know, the people you work with must have thought, oh, this, I must have been hard work, kind of, because you didn't really want to be there, and so all you're talking about is France, you're still buzzing about France, and some people weren't lucky enough to be there, so you've got to be conscious of, oh, I've had the summer of my life, mm. but a lot of people haven't, they've just been working, still in an office, enjoying it, watching it on telly, but they don't want to hear about what a great time you had, not <laughs> being paid to be there. My friends are still paying off the credit card bills because yeah. we got to the semi-final, yeah, yeah, yeah. basically. But it's, it, fe- it felt nice because, again, as a presenter, you know, sometimes I remember being in the BBC doing radio stuff and you know, you're going to Cumbran on a Friday night, you're soaked to the skin. 
you're coming back, you've, you've got the score wrong, that's one of my classics, coming back from Cumbran in the early days, reporting on a game in the mist, and I missed a penalty. I said it was 3-0, <laughs> it was 3-1, you know, you've done these things, you're like, oh, the things you've done, and then suddenly you're sat in this amazing stadium in the sunshine in France, it's like, wow, fair play, it's been, uh, it's been fun. I guess, I guess everyone in their own way uh, did the hard yards, if you like, every fan who, who had been to all these away trips and things were shit and losing yeah. games, spent the hard-earned money, the players who had been through so much, you working as a presenter, you've done your hard yards in terms of your work to build up to that point. But then what's next, though? I know. Good question. Back to Cumbran. <laughs> Maybe. I don't know. It's just been... I've enjoyed everything. Is every aspect. I never intended being a commentator. I still don't know. I'm not quite sure how it happened as a reporter. Doing radio for years was just fantastic. I did nearly 10 years of presenting the... Saturday afternoon show on Roger Cymru yeah. uh, with Larry Sean, uh, star of Radio Wales these days. Oh, we were like Richard and Julie. You know, I was going to say Julie for a bit. And, oh, oh, Punch and Judy. I'm not sure which is which. Well, it was just bizarre. But those, I think, eight years of presenting a live show every Saturday, it was just brilliant. It was fantastic. And you still get that buzz. I've never been to football. I've never been part of it. But you kind of get a, a sense of, not a changing room, but you get a sense of the team spirit I think, working in sport, it's just, and the event, it's all about this event. So I don't know, I never planned doing this, so God knows what I'll do next. And we'll I, guess, I guess it's an industry I've learned pretty quickly that you have to be adaptable, be ready for whatever you're working on right now, could be gone by next month or, or next year. It's all sometimes dependent on who's in charge. One change at the top, bang, your programme's gone, you've got to move yeah. on to the next. It's happened a few times and it's, it's frightening, but you can't think about it in a way, because it doesn't take much. Uh, it, it takes one person, just, and they might even, even if you do your job well, don't make any mistakes, you can go for 10 years nailing every single programme, nailing every link, never making a mistake. Some guy comes in and goes, do you know what, I fancy a change. Yeah. The easiest thing to do, and I've seen it with radio shows, I've seen it, I've, been, I've suffered on radio with it, with uh, Radio Wales and stuff, where they say, oh, the programme isn't working. And rather than think, why is the programme not working? They go, let's change the presenter, mm. get somebody else in. So it's exactly the same. Next week, it's the same programme. There's a different voice and they're tapping themselves on the back going, oh yeah, great. Nailed it. Nailed it. Yeah. And then six months down the line, they'll get rid of another presenter and then another one. And then it's still the same programme. Yeah. And it's, in a funny way, I'm envious of people like tradesmen and craftsmen where if, you, if you're a plumber, electrician, you're good at your job and you, you do your job well, you're going to get work and people are going to keep phoning you up, you're in demand, you're busy, busy, busy. But if you're presenting, it doesn't take much. It could happen overnight. Fashions change so quickly. Maybe they decide they don't want a presenter and they're just going to get... Who needs a presenter? Who wants to... But with football especially, I'm always we used to do like an hour build-up before games with Scott because we do the, the afternoon scores and the latest scores. I think, who cares? People just want to kick off. They just yeah. want to see the game. Because we do stuff... One thing on Scotty, we do Facebook Live games, which is the way things are changing. You see a lot of... Oh, the, the whole scene's changing quicker than I realise. Well, I realise what's going on, but it's hard to grasp. It's going to take a lot of people by surprise because yeah. the way it's going online and stuff. And you know, I think clubs, I'm surprised it hasn't happened sooner. The clubs will be in charge of their own games and still take, taking time to adapt. But we do stuff on Facebook Live and the programme starts as the, when the game starts. Teams yeah. come out, off we go. Game finishes, bye-bye. You know, that's it. And yeah. people are happy with that. And I, and I guess we're... We're lucky that clubs and Wales as a country, the, the, the FAW, are still using, whether it's S4C or BBC, because they don't have to. They can put everything out of them. Well, there are some rules in place that you have to do interviews for so-and-so, but the majority of stuff they can just put out themselves these days. Oh, totally, yeah. And I think it's going to grow. But as I said, I thought it would, happen, it would have happened sooner, especially with the big clubs like the Giants, mm. Real Madrid. Even they're not doing it. They're not... They haven't got an exclusive deal. I guess the money being offered by these channels is still so massive and it's getting bigger. Every time you think the bubble's going to burst, it's getting bigger and bigger. And the figures, when they think of the Far East and there's a massive market in India, Facebook are going into India recently. And when you see the numbers of viewers and the population, you're thinking, holy hell. Yeah. And we're rocking up to Newtown against Aberystwyth. Sometimes you get things that the score is. When you're expecting a dull game and you think not many people are going to watch, it always takes you by surprise. You can never let you go. You've got to be ready for it because yeah. 
some of the some of the biggest viewing figures we've had are for random games like Chem Druids against I don't know Bangor or something. Where you think, oh, there's not going to be many watching, and suddenly you got like fifty, sixty thousand watching. For us, it's massive, mm. which is oh, doesn't register on. Well, they might with Sky, but BBC were doing a game. They they expect millions. Yeah. But then one week you got a big game, and there's like half of that watching. Think, what's going on? Yeah, it's bizarre. You can't. Football fans are just the weirdest, most brilliant bunch out there. There's, you can't second guess them. When you when you think you've got them sussed, they just take you by surprise. So it's uh, yeah. It's Talking about football fun. fans and dull, takes us to Arsenal TV, doesn't it? <laughs> Those whoppers. Absolute oh, jokers. Let's, let's talk about your club, Arsenal. Absolute jokers. I love Arsenal. <laughs> it starts there. It starts there. It started as a child. Uh, my dad took me to Highbury when I was four. So I hate having to... You feel you have to justify it these days. I've been watching them since... Well, I'm, yeah, for nearly 40 years watching Arsenal. I used to go loads down to London. Yeah. There was such a buzz going there and it's just gripped. My dad was a fan, is a fan. He got me involved. My uncle's nuts as well. My mum's brother, so my dad just got us brainwashed at an early age. Just it's just stuck. And since working in football, I haven't seen them as much. So, not that you're less of a fan, but you're less involved. Yeah, so yeah. You're not sat in the pub or sat at home, you know, worried about the results. Yeah. You're kind of concentrating on your links Other for things. the show coming up. And when there's a day off, because you work so much, my life is going to football games, so sometimes you get a day off. Well, you get obviously you get a day off, but Arsenal are playing. You think, oh, can I be bothered driving down to London? Mm. Can I justify it with two little kids? And my wife will look at me like, what? You're going where? Yeah. You're going to watch football? That's what you do every day. But that's that's kind of work. Watching Arsenal is pure enjoyment. Well, it should be pure enjoyment. We went to watch Cardiff City Arsenal recently as a family, supporting Arsenal, and I felt a bit like a fraud because I had to sit in the Cardiff end, and I felt so bad because all these Cardiff fans were well. Where we, I was with my mates in the middle of Cardiff fans. I was a big Cardiff fan, so I just sat there, kept my mouth shut. But my my kids and my wife were in the uh, Indian stand. And afterwards, she said it was just full of like neutrals and tourists and Arsenal fans. I'm like, oh my god! And I, when I go and watch Arsenal, I hate that. But now you find yourself part of it because it's the only way you're going to see them yeah. as well. But I, I used to watch them loads. My dad was uh, oh, took took us low and to watch Wales. There was a big period where he take us to watch Arsenal or take me to watch Arsenal a lot. I guess you could just turn up. You didn't have to. Yeah. Plan it. You could go on the day. I remember when Charlie Nicholas joined Arsenal. In the mid '80s, so excited that week because he was linked to Liverpool man who everybody in Arsenal were very unfashionable then. And Charlie Nicholas picked Arsenal, the golden boy of Scottish football. Yeah. He obviously wanted to go to London, didn't he? He fancied the nightlifes and the models. We realise now, Champagne Charlie yeah. got that nickname pretty quickly. But the day of the, his first game against Luton, the first game of the season, my dad just went, "Oh, come on, should we go?" Like six in the morning and have a rest with. Oh yeah, go on in. Off we went. Caught the train. And Abba's far from everywhere. Oh, yeah, it's far from everywhere. It's uh, it's like uh, Miriam Appleton and Aberystwyth legends. Football manager was talking about trying to get players to Aberystwyth. He said, oh, it's, it's hard, it's so far. I've got fish one side, sheep the other side in Aberystwyth. <laughs> it's mountains, it's sea. Oh, I would take all day. But it was part of the, looking back now, it's, it's a cliche, but you bond with your dad as well. Because mm. you're on a train for hours, yeah, going across London. I'd never seen the underground, the escalators. They only got an escalator in Aberystwyth about three years ago when Next opened up, for God's sake. So I was just brilliant. And uh, that's, that's got me hooked. Just the atmosphere around the football game. Highbury in the early 80s is just an amazing place. Old ground, beautiful. Just the smells of the uh, hot dogs and the fried onions and people selling peanuts. <laughs> I remember just randomly people going around selling peanuts. But it was just brilliant. Cockneys swearing. I get that now with Malcolm Allen, obviously. <laughs> but it, was just, it just got you, got you hooked. And that was it then. But also, Wales at that time, because my dad used to take us loads when the Home Nations was on, yeah. like 84, 85. So we'd get autographs. I remember we'd, when they were playing in Wrexham, they'd stay in the Bryn Howell Hotel outside Llangollen. So we'd go to the hotel just a few hours before kick-off, and the players would all be there, coming out, Ian Rush, Kevin Ratcliffe, who I've since worked with, mm. would come out like in the tracky tops and sign autographs. I've got pictures of me and that somewhere. Oh, yeah. I've got to find them. Because he was my hero. You know, and then you end up... That's the weirdest thing. You asked about interviewing players. The funniest thing is working with players you watched as a fan, as a kid. People like Kevin Ratcliffe because it was just... That took more of a while to get used to than interviewing someone like John Hudson. Yeah. Because you've watched but, these guys. But, yeah, but 
you're interviewing someone, it's an interview, you're yeah, working. Totally. Whereas you're working with someone, yeah. you're getting closer and becoming friendly with... I'm asking with, Kevin Ratcliffe questions. About, the, I, about the local strip club. Yeah, well, yeah, 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 yeah. there is that. How much that is, is it for a dance? Yeah. <laughs> but that was, that was weirder, because that, that time with that gang, that was my first team with Wales, I guess, when it was, yeah, Rush... Southall, Rats, just amazing, amazing team. And they didn't get the success this lot have, but yeah. they were legends. They were just what a team. So it was, it was, it was mad. And now you're working with them. It's, it's surreal. Ian Walsh, you know, I used to love Ian Walsh as yeah. a player. He's just glamorous. I don't know why. Now he's my mortgage advisor. It's bizarre. <laughs> it's absolutely bizarre. So you're friends with these people. <laughs> Last question, Dal. Arsenal to win the champ. I'm going to say Champions League and League Double. Or Wales to win the Euros. Yeah. <laughs> I used to get this a lot. My mates used to go, what if Wales were playing Arsenal? Who would you support? And I've always gone, oh, it'll never happen. It'll never yeah, I know, happen. I know what your answer's going to be. Your answer is going to be Wales to win the Euros. But I don't know if you're lying to me. I don't know what um, your true, true answer would be. I think it's changed. I think 10 years ago, I'd have said Arsenal mm. without thinking twice. Because I just they've been... They're my first love in football, just since when I was three, four years old. <laughs> I think it's changed now. Yeah, it would be Wales now. Cause you're, you're on the bandwagon now. I am on the bandwagon. Get me a bucket hat. <laughs> Sign me up. It's mad. And also, because oh, just the fun I've seen a generation of. I see my kids getting so involved with these guys. Like My, my daughter's seven and she's watching Ethan Ampadu. And she's going like, oh, he's only 10 years older than me. I'm like, whoa, calm down. <laughs> but you can see them think they... At least you won't have to pay for the wedding. Yeah, well, yeah, exactly. It's bizarre. They just look, You can see the whole thing around Wales now is so... It's beautiful. It's amazing what they've done. And I know it's, it's not an accident. They've, the way they've done it behind the scenes and got everybody involved is a fantastic feeling. And it, it, the, the Premier League teams, Arsenal, it's going away from that. And the Arsenal I grew up with was... Very different, you know, the stadium's different, the players are different, they're all, I'm sure they're all normal people, but there's, there's a distance there, we're with Wales, you don't feel that, there's something spectacular. So what was the choice again? Wales to win what? Euros. <laughs> or Arsenal to win all the right. Champions League. Arsenal to win the Champions League or Wales to win the uh, Nations League. <laughs> I'd go with Arsenal for that one, <laughs> but no, I, it would be Wales. The choice, my mates used to ask me, who would you support? I think I'd stay at home, maybe, and ignore it. Good but man. Wales, no, maybe. Perfect, though. Well, we can get back to speaking Welsh now. Fabulous. Diane, boy. We can speak about uh, everybody in Welsh, because that's what we do, Welsh speakers. Hey, the next, <laughs> the next um, invitation for you is for the Welsh podcast with Malcolm Allen. Oh, it would ready? be a pleasure. Are you ready for that? It would be fun. So you've gone from Joe Allen to me. That's a, a varied life you lead. Well, it's going to be very interesting looking at the... Uh, how many listeners I've had <laughs> in comparison to last week. My mum will be listening. Ciao, mum. Nice one, though. Good one, boy. <laughs> And there we go. Big thank you to Dallin Ebenezer for being a terrific host. Um, hopefully you guys enjoyed. If you did, all the usual stuff. Subscribe, leave a review, leave a rating. More importantly, tell a friend. And um, don't be shy in making contact on social media. Get in touch with me on my Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. Letter if you want. Send me a letter. However you want to contact me with a bit of feedback. You know, what you'd like moving forward guests um different little bits and bobs hopefully the sound quality is getting better i'm learning on the job no more loud speakers in restaurants while i try and have a chat with my guests so again thank you for listening and um until next time goodbye